Hi, everyone, and welcome to Avid Travel with Britton Frost. I, of course, am your host, Britton Frost. And today we are joined yet again by Ralph Grizzle, our Avid Cruiser, our very own, to talk about Antarctica and expedition cruising. Now, this is something that we have talked about before on the podcast. I'll link that episode down below. Um, I actually was able to talk to him while he was on Silver Cloud in Antarctica. So that was a fun one. But this time we spoke a little bit more about uh, what an expedition cruise entails and, um, you know, a little bit more about Antarctica. Last time we talked a little bit more about uh, Silver Sea and Silver Cloud specifically. So we'll get into that in just a second. But first we'll go over our cruise news And first up, we have um, Crystal Endeavor, who the 2021 deployment has been announced for that luxury yacht. So I will link that article in the description below, but um, they have announced the entire 2021 deployment. Now, we also have uh, Seaborn, who has announced some wellness cruises in 2019 and 2020. And that is with Dr. Andrew Weil, who focuses on healthcare that encompasses body, mind, and spirit. So a little bit more of a spiritual, enlightened approach to healthcare. Um, And so there will be a series of wellness cruises. um, And then Dr. Weil will head those, and there will be four other experts on these sailings as well. Now, speaking of Seabourn, Seabourn also does have two new luxury expedition ships. Um, The first one will come in 2021 and the second one in 2022, both during the summer. So they'll release the itineraries um, later this year and uh, we'll look forward to those new ships. Now, we did talk a little bit about Seabourn in this podcast as well, um, Antarctica on Seabourn Quest. So uh, we are very excited for the delivery of those two new ships and and more information about them. And there, of course, is more cruise news that you can keep up with on our blog over at Avid Cruiser. I will link that in the description. But while we're talking about that site, I do want to open up the floor a little bit to my listeners and to our readers. Um, We are now accepting guest posts and guest reviews. So if you are interested in doing one of those, just feel free to contact us using the contact form on our website or my email is in the description of this podcast and you can also just email me directly. Um, So without further ado, we'll get into this podcast with Ralph, but but seriously, if there's anything that you all would like to write about, um, we would love to have you featured on the site. So... Okay, today we are joined by special guest, returning repeat guest, Ralph Grizzle. Um, how are you, Dad? I'm doing great. How are you, Britton? I am doing well, and I am especially good because we are talking about something that I really like to talk about today, which is expedition cruising. Yeah, 
I love it too. You know, the expedition pages on our site, they don't get as much traffic as the mainstream and luxury cruises and all that. But that's because there's a smaller number of people that are able to do those. Um, as far as wanting to do those, I, I hope that there are a whole lot of people that want to do them because these are great trips and they take you to some of the remote, remote regions in the world. But at the same time, like it does take a special type of traveler because, you know, right now I'm editing a piece about crossing the Drake Passage and uh, that alone makes me feel like I, at the end, at the end, it's kind of like, oh, well, of course it was worth it. But it, just reading that, it's like, it seems kind of brutal. It can be brutal. And, you know, that is what people always say is that, you know, when you get there to the Antarctica, you forget all about the crossing. I don't know if that's true because you do talk about it when you go home. And there are some potentially rough crossings. You need to know that going in. Prepare yourself for it. The first time that I went, I got seasick. The videographer who was with me, Chris Stanley, I hope he's listening because he threw up in the bathroom sink. When the toilet was right beside the sink. I don't know why he didn't <laughs> hit the toilet, but he threw up in the sink and he had to clean that out himself. Uh, uh, and that was before we got into Drake Passage. That was just leaving Ushuaia. Uh, so I got a little bit woozy on that one as well. And the waves weren't, they weren't that severe. Second crossing, I did not get seasick. The third crossing, it was just, even though the seas were 27 feet at times, and they were hitting our balcony door on the seventh deck. I didn't get, or on the fifth deck, I didn't get seasick at all on that one. I just went about my normal routine. Did you so, take any preventative measures that third time, though? Or was it just... No. Okay. No, I just rode it. And I think the way the ship rides the waves, too. They've got to be, waves have to be hitting the ship at the right direction. But, you know, the captain and... Not all the crew, but most of the crew, they get through it with no, you know, no bad feelings as well. I, I honestly think I know that some of it is physical, but I think it's a lot of it's in the mind. It was for me. Mm -hmm. I got a little sick on the first one because I was nervous about the crossing and I got less sick on the second one because I'd done the crossing. So you cross six times. I've crossed six times. I mean, and on the third time, I was just like, I'm going to have fun. <laughs> Well, it was like surfing. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. One of the one of the uh, paragraphs in this piece talks about you know how, what everyone else was doing, and that some people even got in the pool. And Tamara mentions that it felt like an amusement park pool because the ship was rocking so much. Yeah, it's just it's just I think people invest too much energy thinking about that crossing and fearing it, and you shouldn't let that stop you. <laughs> You yeah. shouldn't let that stop you. It's gorgeous. And it's like, it's like one guy said, it's as close uh, to being on another planet as most people will ever get. And I mean, yeah, you get, talk about that experience. Like, I know that you went for the first time a number of years ago, but it actually wasn't that long ago. Um, but, you know, what did that feel like upon arrival? Well, when you, you know, there's this dramatic, well, I wouldn't, maybe it's not dramatic. There is this um, sudden reveal of Antarctica. So you've been cruising across the Drake Passage uh, uh, maybe 36 hours or so, and you've left Ushuaia and you've sailed out the Beagle Channel and all this, and you see these beautiful mountains. 
And then there's just nothing except waves and seabirds for the next 36 hours. There's a lot of good activity on the ship. There are lectures and that sort of thing. But uh, your first glimpse of Antarctica is actually not the continent itself or the peninsula itself. It is, it's icebergs. And so, you know, you'll spot an iceberg and that's when you know they'll announce it. You won't miss the iceberg. So you'll know that you're getting close. And on the iceberg, if you look closely, you might see a line of penguins on the iceberg, which is kind of remarkable. Hmm. And then you began to see more icebergs. And then at the distance, you can see, you know, this sort of mountainous horizon. And then once you begin to approach it, you come to this place that just... It, you, you just are struck by how remote it is and how there are no people there other than the researchers who live in the stations during the spring and summer there. So there are research stations all around Antarctica. I mean, it's not like you're going to see little towns everywhere. You'll see a building here and there every few days, maybe. And then, you know... You begin, they take you to the most beautiful places and you get on a Zodiac and that's very exciting because you, 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 you put your boots on and your wet, you know, your, your waterproof pants and your, the special life jacket for the Zodiac and your parka that they've given you and your gloves and your hat It's actually not that cold. It's right around the freezing mark and there are your dogs. And, uh, I was going to cut that out. Well, let's leave it in because <laughs> we're talking about wildlife and animals and all. And uh, yeah, so you go a Zodiac ashore and that first sort of your first footstep into Antarctica is going to be in the water. You've got these boots on that come up to about half, you know, half your calf or just above it. And you swing around to get yourself off the Zodiac and you put your boot down in the water. It's not cold because your boots protecting you. And then you step ashore and you're on this magical sort of continent. And, and then it's just, it's penguins. It's, uh, you can see them swimming in the water and, you know, sort of launching themselves above the water. And you'll see uh, seals and baby seals and snow and it's pristine. I went on the first visit. I was on Silver Sea's first visit uh, this past year. And so the snow is completely pristine. And, I mean, you said that um, they kind of took you to a bunch of different spots. Are you, how often are you sailing? You are sailing um, quite a lot, but they'll try to do at least two activities a day. You know, they'll get you out in a Zodiac to go on what they call a landing and uh, so you'll do one of those and you'll typically stay out uh, up to an hour and a half. And that's enough time. You, you're you, because the Zodiac's going to take you, you know, 30 minutes from your room to get down there and get to shore at least 30 minutes, maybe 45. And then you. So you're you're ashore 45 minutes after you've left your room. And then you walk around for an hour and a half, and then it's about 30 minutes back, and you're ready for lunch or whatever. And that afternoon, you might do like a Zodiac tour, which is really cool because you're going along, you know, the ice and icebergs. And so that's beautiful, too. And you may even do a landing then at the end of that little tour as well. And I know that the answer to this question is going to be no. 
But does it get boring? Like, I mean, it just seems like if you're going from one place to another and they look the same and there's the same wildlife and you're doing that for how many days, it just seems like maybe it would get a little redundant. But I know that it, I, I know that it wouldn't. I just want you to kind of, you know. I'm in touch with, I'm in touch with several of the uh, expedition leaders, you know, where we've kept, kept in touch on Facebook and, um, you know, I think at the end of the season, they're ready for to see green, you know, mainly because you don't see any green at all down there. So they're ready to see that. Um, but, you know, it they go year after year after year. And I think it, it, maybe the very first visit of the season could be the most magical for them because they haven't been, you know, in six months or so. And then they do it repeatedly. So one guy, his name is Dominique. And Dominique's an interesting story because he started off in the restaurants on Silver Sea. And uh, during his breaks, when he could be napping, this is back uh, seven or eight years ago, when he could be napping, Dominique would actually, uh, he'd go ashore. And so Conrad Combrink, who heads up Silver Sea Expeditions, he said to Dominique, he says, why do you, you know, why aren't you resting? Why do you always come ashore? And he said, because I love it so much. And Dominique worked himself up. Uh, Conrad was so impressed. He said, do you want to join the expedition team? Uh, a few weeks later, he asked him. And so so now Dominique is one of the expedition team uh, members. And you've written about him in your past, Wr in your latest story. Written a story about him. Great guy. I encourage people just to go, you know, maybe, maybe you've run up on Dominique if you cruise overseas. But yeah, he's a great guy. So I heard from him yesterday. And he was doing his last uh, last uh, Zodiac cruise of the season, and they were headed back to Ushuaia, and then they're going to head back up north. But, you know, he, he uh, he's certainly someone who loves Antarctica in, in all the conditions. So he would be – his answer would be no, you don't get bored, and that would be probably most of the – from most of the expedition team and definitely my answer, no way. <laughs> you never get bored of penguins and these beautiful ice – sculptures and no you don't get tired of it yeah and especially i mean it's just as you as everyone says like it's a once in a lifetime opportunity not for you and not for the expedition leaders because y'all have done it more than once but um you know to just kind of like be thrown into this world that's so different than anything that you've ever seen that's like even spending seven days there mm -hmm. i think it'd be a good good place to go if you had high blood pressure because you I mean, you're removed from all distractions mm -hmm. and it's just, you really get in touch with yourself and with life and with the other people on that cruise who are all like-minded individuals. Yeah. And, and then you're, you're unplugged. I mean, I guess we were Skyping. We did an mm -hmm. interview, which I'll link below for when you were on Silver Cloud in Antarctica. But, um, I mean, for the most part, it's like, you're not getting off the ship with a phone that's yeah. going to work and, you know, right. Yeah, and I want to say, too, that you also have the, I think Silver Sea has something like 20, I think it was 26 expedition team members. So they, on a ship that only carries like 220, you know, they're more than 10% of the passenger base, although they're technically working. But you're, you're dining with them, and you get to know these fascinating people, too, like a guy named Federico, who, uh, who also wrote about who we ended up calling the seal whisperer because typically when they are researching will, uh, seals down in Antarctica, leopard seals in particular, they will shoot them and tranquilize them and then they'll go weigh them, measure them and tag them. 
and uh, Federico has come up with a method. He's from the Ushuaia area, so he, uh, he came up with a method where he'll actually he would approach them and begin uh, rubbing them, and basically make friends with them, and they and they required no tranquilizer. And there's a video of that. There's a video of him doing which that, which is, is incredible. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. My uh, my best friend, who you know, studies zoology. And I sent that video to her and she was just so jealous of that job. But, you know, even as someone who doesn't have extreme knowledge about like different animals, um, it was still really cool to see. And I think that, um, you know, just going through and looking at those pictures that you've taken in the videos, it's definitely makes me jealous. <laughs> like, this mm -hmm. is something that I would really like to do. Um, but I want to talk to about, we've been talking about Silver Sea because that was your most recent trip, but you've done, you've done Antarctica three times and twice with Silver Sea. Um, and that was on different ships. So first was Silver Cloud, or first was Silver. First was Silver Explorer. 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 Yeah. And yeah. second was Silver Cloud. Uh, second was Seaborne Quest, and then, well, oh, yeah, sorry, and, and then Silver Sea, and then Silver Cloud yeah. was so second for Silver Sea, right? So, but can you talk more about the? I know we've heard a lot about the Silver Sea experience. What about Seaborne? Like, what do the two lines do differently? Yeah, Seaborne is great. So we can talk about Seaborne uh, present and Seaborne future because Seaborne is building. Um, they're building new expedition ships, and. Uh, the and and you know other luxury players are too. In fact, we have a hard time keeping up with all of the new ships that are coming. There there are more than twenty, and you know it's from Scenic and uh, Pack Lloyd and uh, you know just Crystal's got you know their new ship. They just announced their deployments this week. So, but Seaborn quit. So the Seaborn ships, by the way, the new ones are coming out for June 2021 and then May 2022. So these are going to be different from what Seaborn offers now, which is the Seaborn Quest. And that ship was redone to be able to cruise, like Silver Cloud was, to be able to cruise in uh, polar waters. What was different was, first of all, the number of passengers. So I had been on Silver Explorer, which was like just around 100 and I think 12 or 15, 20 passengers, I forget, versus Seaborne Quest, which was 450. So it's there that the differences were most striking. Now, I can't really say I preferred one over the other. What I liked about Silver Explorer was it was just small. It, it was felt like an expedition ship. You know, it was just very intimate seaborne quest on the other hand had multiple dining venues um they had a very nice gym which we ended up using quite a lot they had a great coffee bar uh and just bigger lecture facilities so and they had a, they had a beautiful bar called the observation bar at the um you know on the i think it was on the ninth deck of the ship up front so that was a really nice place to 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 be and you could go outside there as well which was wonderful you know at midnight you walk outside it's their summer down there and it's still light outside so that ship just had a lot more had a lot more to offer but again i can't say i liked one more than the other you know it's uh they were just different but for somebody who might need all of that, you know, the the multiple dining venues and all that, then then Seaborn would be the better choice. Now, with 450 passengers, you know, 
there's a tougher time getting everybody ashore or it's more of a challenge, but they manage that quite well. Yeah. And, you know, I think that 400 is still a small number. Like, um, I mean, yeah, for a voyage where you're going to have to go off on landings all the time and, and, you know, get people out on these small Zodiacs, um, cause they are pretty small. Yeah. Um, and you know, the new ones are going to only be, uh, so the new seaborne ships will only be 264 guests. So they are bringing that number down. That will help with the challenge of getting, you know, because you're limited. You can have, I think the number is 50. It may be 100. I, I've got it on my site on Avid Cruiser. But you can only have um, so many people ashore at one time. Uh, that's an agreement with the Antarctic Treaty that just to protect the pristine environment down there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, all that I was saying is that 400 is still not a not a super large number. I mean, right? You could right. easily know everyone on the ship by the end mm-hmm. of it if you needed to, or if you yeah. wanted to, which yeah, we know I would. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I want to talk to you about you know what what's there to do on board. So when we talked about crossing the Drake Passage, you were saying you know it's 36 hours that you're that you're crossing, so about two days that you're just. Um, in the ocean doing, you know, at Mm -hmm. sea. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you're sick, like this article that Tamara wrote, she's kind of talking about how she had to spend a lot of time in bed, but when, when she was feeling better, she would go up and do things um, like attend lectures and, you know, that other guests were playing board games, but I just wanted to know more about what kind of activities are offered on board because it does seem like you're spending a lot of time on the ship. Mm-hmm. Well, I should clarify that, you know, that, w- that was her first ocean cruise and she was not terribly sick. You know, she was just feeling a little bit woozy. So she uh, she just relaxed in the bed quite a bit. And so there were two things. I mean, first of all, there were movies. So, you could, she, you know, on-demand movies. So she could just kind of sit there and catch up on movies she hadn't seen. Uh, she did get out quite a bit and there was, you know, we had, had a balcony, which was, it was too rough to open the balcony door, but just, um, it, it sounds weird, but you know, even just kind of being able to look out and see the waves or whatever, uh, that could be comforting or it could be anxiety. Or terrifying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or terrifying. So there was that. And, you know, there were lots of but for those who felt well, which was quite a lot of the ship, there were lectures, and the lectures are fascinating, and they are given by, you know, experts and people who have lived these experiences, and everything from geology to birds to, you know, just Antarctica and research that's going on there, whales, everything you can think of that was related to Antarctica. So that that was that was fascinating to have that. Also... You could go out on deck. A lot of people went out on deck, and uh, they were. This was the perfect time to bird watch because I remember one uh, Dutch uh, um, expedition leader was telling me that he hated it when the sea was calm because there was no bird life or anything like that. So the sea gets rough, I guess. It creates, uh, it, it it brings more of the sea life up to the surface, and then you got more birds, you know, coming down, and you know, it's a good hunting ground for them. So just. Uh, we had one man from the UK who was uh, slightly disabled, um, but he got out in, on deck even in those rough seas, and 
you know, because he was there to see the birds and he was just fascinated when he would check one off his list that he hadn't, hadn't seen. So it was, it was busy as you want it to be. Then you've got dinner and, you know, people were going to the gym. I, you know, I went to the gym even during the rough seas and, um, there was a spa and, you know, maybe not the best time to get a haircut, but, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, there was plenty to do. Yeah. And I mean, it sounds like, it sounds like it. I just, you know, for people who haven't maybe heard any stories about these types of cruises or, you know, haven't known someone who's done one and are considering it, this is good information to have because I, I of course have heard stories from you and from Tamara and from other people who have done these sailings about how much there is to do and how thrilling it is. Um, but you know, other people might not realize that. So there was also this palpable feeling or, or excitement of we're getting there, you know, because, and th- there's a map on TV, uh, on in-state room TVs where you can sort of trace your progress and you you could see, okay, now we're leaving the Beagle channel and, and the dot would move slowly on the map. So you'd see, you know, the tip of South America here, the Drake passage, and you'd see the Antarctic peninsula. And then you would see this dot, and that was us. And, you know, then you check it every so often. Oh, we're getting closer and closer. And so there was ex- excitement in that as well. Mm. Yeah. And I wanted to also talk about, you know, Antarctica is great, but I wanted to talk a little bit. And I know that you've never done this, and I've never done this, so we're probably not the experts but we we do know a lot of people who have done certain sailing so uh we do have some knowledge but also about alaska Mm -hmm. expedition cruises because i know that alaska is a super popular destination for travelers in the summer and i know that you have done alaska cruises before Mm -hmm. um so maybe just talk about that a little bit and um and Alaska expeditions, if you can. Yeah, well, which is a good point. You know, there's Alaska, uh, which is a sort of a softer. You know, it's it's really nothing like Antarctica, but uh, it, it would be a good way to sort of test the waters and so to speak, and say, you know, do I enjoy being on a zodiac? And the answer would be yes. And, uh, you know, do I enjoy this expedition sort of feeling that I'm having? So you, you've got lots of places like that. Now, so just to digress for a moment, Norway, that's another beautiful sort of, um, you know, region to explore that's at a, you know, extreme latitude. You know, some of it is above the Arctic Circle. Uh, I haven't, I don't know people, I don't know of cruise lines. I imagine Seaboard does and probably Silver Sea that do Zodiac excursions up there. But just the cruise along that coastline is gorgeous, and a lot of people compare that to Alaska. And then there's places like Russia's Far East, which is one of my favorite trips ever because of the abundance of wildlife and just the exposure to the Siberian culture there. That and was that was incredible. That was on Crystal? That was on sea, uh, Silver Sea as well, Silver oh, Discoverer. Okay. Okay. And that was with your brother, Alex, as you know, and uh, that is from Alaska. So that relates to Alaska. That's from Nome, Alaska, across the Bering Sea, you know, to this, uh, what they call Russia's Far East. Yeah, I remember Alex talking about that, too. Just great trip. That yeah, great Alex. experience. 
like so one day they were just like we saw thousands of walruses we were out in the zodiac and uh you know another day we saw 20 plus bear you know so it was that type of thing and then we saw these tribal sort of tribal cultures that uh, perform for us and that sort of thing but back to alaska so one of my first assignments i had been to alaska quite a few times but my first sort of official assignment was for a company that no longer operates it's called cruise west and they were a small ship fleet and they really got you into uh they, they like to say that you know if the captain sees a whale we're going to stop the boat you know and so they their itineraries were flexible and uh you know they focused on their real alaska experience and they assigned me to do 60 videos so i took a little sony camcorder up there and uh I met with the, um, you know, the, the Cruise West uh, representatives up in Alaska, and they took me around. So we flew around Denali, for example, and filmed that, and that video is still on the site somewhere. We went to, you know, sort of, uh, we, we would, we, we go to like these little excursions. We took the train from Denali to Anchorage, and we'd go meet, uh, you know, people who had been in the Iditarod and still caring for their huskies and that sort of thing. So that was a little bit, uh, you know, it was, it was expedition-like, definitely. Yeah, and I mean, why I think that talking about Alaska is so important is that the majority of our listeners live in the U.S. Um, and so Alaska isn't very hard to get to. You know, you don't have to fly. I mean, depending on where you live, like from North Carolina, actually, the flight is almost as long as going to England. But that mm -hmm. being said, you know, if you live in the Midwest or something, you can leave from Seattle. Um, right. So you're only having to fly to Washington or or to Canada, which either one is not as far. And also, even even distance aside, it's not as overwhelming, maybe, um, as going to a country where people don't speak your language. And I know I, I don't have a problem with that. You don't have a problem with that. Plenty of people don't. But, but some people do and are overwhelmed. So especially when you're going to such a remote area, to know that, well, it's still part of your country. People speak English. Um, and, and just different things like that, just that level of comfort um, that could, that's why I wanted to note that as an, as a good area for maybe a, a first expedition cruise. And I know that when you're on these cruises in Antarctica, you still have the people who speak English and whatever, but that's so far away. And so yeah. if it's something well, that you're worried about doing, it's like you said, just to kind of like dip your toe in. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because Alaska is somewhat familiar to us because, you know, um, it's part of the United States. So it's on our map. Yeah, for Americans, you know, it's definitely a familiar destination. And, you know, I grew up, watch, well, I was an adult watching shows like Northern Exposure, which you've referred to before. And uh, it has an appeal, definitely has a great appeal. And you can get an expedition experience there in places like Tracy Arm. You know, you can go kayaking and, you know, Silver uh, Seaborn has its um, ventures by Seaborn up there where you can go out in Zodiacs and that sort of thing. And, you know, other cruise lines do as well. And you'll see, you know, I remember, uh, again, we're going back to Cruise West on another cruise with them, just coming up on a pot of orcas once. And we stopped the boat and watched them for, for quite a bit. So 
Yeah, you can definitely get this. Uh, I mean, Alaska is, you know, it's just a grand and majestic, you know, place. And it's, it's gorgeous. I will say, though, that you were talking about how close it is and that it may provide a level of comfort. And I don't know if I should say this. But during the insurance interviews, it was mentioned that Alaska is one of the most expensive places to get someone out of. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes the most challenging because you are maybe close to a mainland, but Mm -hmm. Alaska is so large. And some areas are so remote. So, I mean, with any sort of expedition cruise of course you're you know that you're gonna be off the grid a little bit Mm -hmm. um but i just i thought that was kind of funny to mention considering that i'm like oh it's it's a good first option but i mean i i think that it is and like you said maybe norway or something too where you you're not on you know antarctica is is its own own thing yeah its own body so yeah it seems that the real message in this, you know, particular podcast is that, you know, although expedition cruising has been around for a long time, it, we're at an age where we're starting to see it like just it, it's it's where the river cruise industry was, you know, several years ago. River expedition cruising is starting. It, it's just now beginning to put itself on the map for cruisers. It's going to be. We have so many new ships coming on on into service, you know, from nearly every line you can think of. Crystal, Lindblad, Panat, Seaborn, Scenic, Silver Sea, uh, Hapak Lloyd. Hurtigruten. which means fast route. Um, just so many coming on. Seaborn building its new ships. There's going to be a lot of emphasis on this and a lot of opportunity. And I think it's going to, you know, a lot of it's going to be top tier. It's going to be very expensive. But I think, uh, you know, because of all the capacity, it's going to be more competition as well. So there are going to be some great opportunities there for people who, you know, can't afford or, or would have to mortgage their homes to do something like this. Which, I mean, is true. It's, it's, I know we always talk about how expensive is a relative term. But, mm-hmm. I mean, it is not. It, would not be something that I could afford. Right, right. Um, I'm, I, I'll be very interested to see. I'm, I know that Viking is going to come in. I'm almost certain with expedition ships, and uh, I'll be curious to see where their price points are and what they're going to be offering. Yeah, and and one more thing, like we're just talking kind of about the future of expedition cruising and all these new ships. You're also seeing world expedition world cruises from Silver Sea. Mm-hmm. And as far as Hurdy Gruden's new ship, that's a, a hybrid ship. Right. So you're seeing these interesting developments. You're seeing Lindblad's new ship, which is um, has this X bow that's uh, meant to decrease environmental impact. Uh huh. And yeah. so, I mean, you see these you see these advances within offerings but you also see these advances in technology and i think that's something that i worry about a lot is the environmental impact of ships especially in remote areas like that mm-hmm. um and that's not to say that you know there aren't other things to worry about environmentally um but just to see these players taking those strides too not only in like passenger 
appeasement, but also trying to to make ships because everyone is trying to make ships now that are better for the environment and that use less fuel and mm-hmm. and and all of that. So I think that that's important to note as well. Yeah, it's very, very important. And uh, I mean, there's a flip side to this and it's like, you know, our world is changing and you know, we need to do as much as we can to preserve it for future generations. But and also at the same time, we need to get out there and see it before it changes too much. You know, it's it, it's it's remarkably beautiful. It's like a, I mean, it is more severe, but it's like like it's like you know, you're, you're seeing a say a town that you went to and you go back 30 years later and you see how different it was and maybe you don't like it as much then. But to have that sort of first like see you see in a place when it's pristine and beautiful and just you know to me that experience is it's it's well it's it's more valuable than you know say purchasing a new car or whatever like that you know it's to have that experience is of much more value to me yeah i agree yeah i agree well anything else that you want to add that's about it. I'll just say that we are working hard on building up our, uh, our expedition content. And uh, we've got, we're developing a, a sort of a very comprehensive landing page for Antarctic expeditions. And it is a work in progress. It will be updated very frequently and, and, and at a more frequent pace as we move closer to the launch of these new vessels. A lot of... Uh, a lot of challenges there, you know, scenic ship was delayed and multiple times I just heard yesterday that Hanseatic nature is going to be delayed by a few days. And, uh, so it's a difficult space for us to keep, <laughs> to, to keep track of, but we're doing our best. And that, that, that page is going to be developed very, it's going to be updated very frequently, I should say. Mm-hmm. And we, yeah, I mean, we already have a ton of content, but it's about kind of getting it all together so yeah and i should mention too that we uh we have another contributor who's uh, he's an old friend of mine he's going to be joining and he's a belgian uh, named mike luigi he's on a ship right now he just got back from a half pack um no it was a penant sailing in antarctica he's a photographer he's uh, going to be adding some great photos to the ship and very soon now uh by the fall we'll have a, a new book on antarctic Antarctic cruises as well. Hmm. Cool. I didn't know that. Well, so I'm, you know. I'm being filled in just mm. as our listeners are. <laughs> okay, Ted, thank you for joining me. Okay. Well, thank you, Britain. joining me on avid travel with Britain frost i hope that you all have a wonderful week and i will see you next time bye